Okay. Let's so, see if this lighting's so, any better. Before we begin, I know I've already showed you, but I need to show everyone the awesome mug that I got. La, la, la. So cute. Yeah. And then I don't know if I showed you the back, but it says boss bitch on the back. Yeah. Yeah. You showed me that. And I'm like, at least it doesn't say boss babe. I'll take a boss bitch over a boss babe any day or girl <laughs> boss. Yes. It's fine. Definitely. She, uh, she nailed it on that one. She did. And it's so cute. It can hold 12 fluid ounces in case you need to know. Cause I just poured an entire white claw in here. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. <laughs> so yeah. My little sister was like, oh, it's your first piece of merch. And I'm like, technically it is, but yeah. it's a gift. So thank you, Kinsey. Um, Kinsey Reinhardt, you awesome son of a bitch. And it's an amazing birthday present. And I'm going to use it all the time. So even with White Claw. Even with White Claw. Because I don't drink coffee. What else am I going to put in it? Mm -hmm. Okay. So. We have been on a roller coaster of a week for all of you listening. Um, let me see. Well, to put things on a good note, uh, cheers. So tinky tink. Cheers. We'll kick it off. We'll kick it off strong. Um, like we've been literally the two of us have been so busy. I haven't had a chance to like do the fun deep dive into our stats. So I was going to pull up what I have. Just so we can mm -hmm. say hello to everybody before we dive right into this week's episode. I don't know. Did we even do that last week? No, dude, we just went for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. So, That's what was missing. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't, it didn't click to me until I was like editing the episode and I was like, oh yeah, we didn't do that. <laughs> I was like, oops. <laughs> well, good thing. We're basically recording almost back to back. So. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm like, here's the thing. Like we literally, it's been like a day in between. So I don't think the stats are going to change all that much. Yeah. Okie dokie. So hello and welcome to Take a Killer to Brunch. Uh, we are your awesome hosts. I'm Darcy. That is Shannon. If you're new here, welcome to the psych ward. Um, we're great to have you. And if you're um, a returning patient or current patient. I don't know how you would phrase that. Uh, I'm glad to have you back. So um, before we hop into the United States, hello to everybody in the United Kingdom, India, Russia, Belgium, Jamaica, Bulgaria, Italy, El Salvador, Sweden, Nigeria. Hey, we got Australia. Woo! Welcome Australia. Um, Albania, Canada, Cuba, Germany, Spain, Mexico, Norway. Norway's new, isn't it? So is Cuba. I didn't think Cuba was on last time either. Cuba's new too. Uh, the Philippines and South Africa. And to those of you that are in the unknown, uh, it's wonderful to have you all here. Thank you so much for finding us somehow. I mean, if you're listening from another country, let us know how you found us because we would really love to know. Mm -hmm. um, all right. U.S. The battle for top spot is currently California. So California has taken the number one spot with Florida following in very tight second. Like by tight, I mean two download difference. Wow. So 
if you want to keep your top spot, Callie, or if anyone wants to take it, hit that download button and download your, your fave episodes and share them with your friends. You know, everyone likes true crime. It's fine. It's cool. Um, but hello, it's, it's accepted now. <laughs> what? I was like, it's accepted now. Yeah, Being you're not weird. It's like crime. anime. It's not, it's not weird if you watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello to everyone in California, Florida, Washington, Georgia, Illinois, New York, Texas, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Colorado, Nevada, Kansas, Michigan, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Virginia, Arizona, way down on the list. I see how it is. Um, Kentucky, <laughs> North Carolina, Utah, Indiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Minnesota, Montana, Rhode Island, in the District of Columbia. That's fun. Yeah. Um, Iowa, New Mexico, Ohio, and Oklahoma. And to the rest of you that didn't put your geographic locations because you don't want the, the feds to track you. I get it. <laughs> um so hello we're all happy that you're here um and if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode please do so shannon did a fabulous job literally dude after we recorded i like went and just started like talking to like my sisters about it and i was like you guys have to go listen to it and then i told john i was like i know you're listening to it in order to go listen to it because <laughs> it was <laughs> so fun um but yeah you guys should definitely listen to it. it's a good it's a good one but after this one, obviously, we don't want you to not not be all caught up. And hello <laughs> to everyone on YouTube. So <laughs> here we are. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, we uh, I'll just say it now before we jump into it. We have a Patreon for anyone who doesn't know, or if you're listening to us on Podbean, we have a patron. Um, both have the same benefits. It's three bucks a month. You get early access to episodes on Fridays instead of Sundays, and you get bonus content every month, as well as we give you shout outs on the podcast every week. So yeah, um, we're, we have some really great things in the works. So if that's something you want to jump in and support the pod on, please do so. Much obliged. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, we're both a little tired. I guess we're just going to jump right into this thing. I pulled my notes up on my phone. So we'll, I mean, I don't know if it's going to work. So um, I mean, I have them on my computer too, but I can't see your face when I do that. So I wanted to try something different. Let me see. I may just end up splitting my screen. You know, that's always an issue I have with like me trying to split my screen for my notes and stuff. I'm blind as fuck, mm-hmm. so I have to like make the like the font size 20. <laughs> yep. But then it has to like um, not be too big because then it's like I can't I'd have to like scroll over constantly as I'm like reading it. The battle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let me see here. This may not work on my phone. I'm actually gonna grab my headphones because the AC unit here is really loud and the computer volume sucks. It's okay. I'm just grabbing a pillow because my back is killing me. <laughs> So I have all my notes up at the same time. Okay. Okay, I found them. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so I don't have a witty intro, but I did say we're gonna have some heavy hitters between now and the rest of the year. So I'm kind of stoked about that. It just was a happy way that all kind of flowed together. This one is gonna have to be a two-parter. 
because one, it was, there's a lot more to cover than I thought. Um, I always do that. So it's fine. So this one's probably going to end up being a two-parter. Um, yeah, so two-parter. So we're going to cover leading up to the creation. Um, and then next week or the next time I, next my next episode, Christ, um, we will go into the crimes and the murders. Um, but I do, I'll, I'll see, I'll, we'll see if I can trigger your brain. Does the name Sharon Tate mean anything to you? Of course it does. The Manson murders, the Tate family murder or whatever from the Manson family. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I'm covering Charles Manson and Woo. the family. Yeah, I know. I know. That's um, a good one. I This is one that I do know some about. At least that's why I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I know Sharon Tate, you know. Some of the other ones, I'll admit, like you, you stumped me on most of them, but this one I do know a little bit of for sure. Yeah. So definitely covering Charles Manson um, because he is a Scorpio and he is the year of the dog. So this is like our last Scorpio episode mm-hmm. before the season is over, but it'll bleed and that's okay um, because I have another heavy hitter when we dive into, I think, what's the next one? Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Yeah, Sagittarius that's what Lexi season is. coming up. Oh, we'll have to shout her out. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're gonna jump into Charles Manson because there's a there's a lot, and I didn't really know how I was gonna tackle this um, because it's easy to jump into like you know him as a cult leader and how he built his cults and being in the cults, and there's a lot of that that goes around of like you know, people want to understand how did people get sucked into it? How did he do it? How did he keep them? How did he get them to do what they did? And if anyone who is unaware of who Charles Manson is, he was a cult leader in the 1960s who orchestrated the murder of eight people, one being an unborn child. So there's a trigger warning there. Um, And he did not participate in any of these murders, but he was able to manipulate and basically brainwash a group of people into killing on his becking call. Um, and he didn't get away with it. So Charles Manson, as I said, he's a Scorpio and he's the year of the dog. Um, I decided the route I'm going to go is I'm going to talk about him and what led him up to be, to becoming who he became and then next week we'll cover the murders themselves and what happened after that. Um, I say next week as if you know what I but you get it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Darcy's um, next week. <laughs> <laughs> My next week. So in two weeks for you guys. Um, it'll be next, it'll be this week for us, but whatever. So um that's how we're gonna do this. And then I had a bunch of ideas. And if you guys really want to dive more into this whole case, um, let me know because. I feel like there's, there's a deep dive you can do on the individual main, um, Manson followers on like, like following how they ended up doing what they did. Like you could go that route. Um, you could do what we could do a whole bonus episode on like just the Manson family cult itself and like being on the farms. Like there's a bunch of cool bonus things we could do. So if that's anything anybody wants us to cover or dig more into, we would happily do it. So like, just let us know if you like this, you know, mm-hmm. tell us. In the I think comments. it'd be like, that's the message. I think it'd be like super, like 
like interesting too to kind of look at each individual person like you said and like learn a little bit about a little bit about them too because like mm-hmm. you know we know the basis of everything so I think that'd be kind of cool too just to like see the different people and like their roles and stuff like that and how like you said how they all got sucked into it individually mm-hmm. because a big part of his following is he learned how to manipulate people like that's a big part of how he became successful with this cult but because it's going to be a two-parter i just want to go ahead and give my sources um just so they're already out there um so i used the l is it i know it's lgponline.biomedcentral.com i used ranker.com I also use the article Charles Manson's Personality Disorder um, on the website sites.psu.edu. It was an article or like a thing, a school paper, I think. Um, I also listened to the Cults podcast, which is hosted by the same people who host Serial Killers. So Greg and Vanessa, we love them. And yeah, where you can find us, Instagram and Twitter at TAKTV Podcast. Go to our Facebook page, Take a Killer to Brunch. Send us an email at TAKTV Podcast at gmail.com. Go to our website, Take a Killer to Brunch.com. Um, and also check out our Patreon and Patreons, which is also Take a Killer to Brunch. So now that that's all out of the way, we can dive right into Charles Manson's childhood. So as I said before, um, he was a cult leader and he wasn't really known as a serial killer. He's considered a spree killer. Um, And he had, as I said, the family kill eight people, one being an unborn child over the course of like two months is when all this kind of unfolded. Um, And when we say cults, what is a cult? They, um, in the cults podcast, they do a really good job of defining. I didn't know there was two definitions for cults. I didn't know there was two types of cults. So a cult, by definition, um, is a system of religious uh, veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object. Um, But the cult definition we're going to be using for the sake of this is the destructive cult, because cults in general are assumed to be bad, but not all of them are bad. It's when they become bad that they're a bad cult. Anyway, so a destructive cult for anyone who didn't know, like myself, is an authoritarian regime which uses deception when reoccurring as well as mind control techniques to make a person dependent and obedient. So that's where we're going to go with the word cult this time around. So his childhood. Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1934 to Kathleen and William Manson. William was actually not Charles's father, um, but he was the son of a man named Colonel Scott, um, who was married at the time. And Kathleen was 16 and unaware that her 23-year-old boyfriend was married. So when um, she went to him and said, hey, I'm pregnant, he was like, fuck that. Kathleen also came from a very religious household. So she would sneak out at night and her very religious mother was none the wiser. She was going to the next town over to go to parties and see Scott. Um, And as I said, once Scott found out that she was pregnant, he peaced out and he wanted nothing to do with her. He did not want to be a father to this son, but Kathleen really wanted a father for her child. So she settled is, is the term that is used for a man named William. Um, but Kathleen, like I said, was 16 years old when she had Charles. So she had no intentions of really being a parent. 
Um, so she would often leave him with other family members and her and her brother would just go out and her brother's name is Luther and they would just go out and they would party and, um, for days on end and like, just leave William leave for their family. And they would, while they're also out and about partying, they're also robbing people along the way. So they're like, (laughs) I know. So they're like, stealing people's money they're robbing people at like knife point and everything like that um she sounds like a gem total gem right i mean she comes from a crazy religious household and i guess this is her way of rebelling right oh but yeah but don't forget she settled for poor william over there she settled for poor william because that baby needed a father but not a mother right yeah yeah no no she can go off and party (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So by 1937, um, Kathleen's like total thing of like partying and abandoning her family, like finally got William fed up. And so he decided to divorce her. Um, but she, honestly, she didn't give a shit that they got divorced. So she could care less about William divorcing her. Um, her main focus at the time was not only partying, but trying to get child support out of Scott. So for years, she attempted to take Scott to court for child support, but all she would end up getting out of him after all this was a whopping $25. So, I mean, what's $25 in 1937 in today's money? It's probably like, well, like a hundred bucks, maybe like it probably wasn't much. Yeah. Um, And like, cause like I said, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with Charles. So in 1939, when Charles is four years old, Kathleen and Luther, her brother, they uh, robbed and assaulted a man by the name. um, I'm sorry, by the name. They assaulted and robbed this man while Charles watched and and then he eventually watched her get arrested. Um, So it was a traumatic experience to watch your mother get arrested for assaults and robbery of a person. And she would eventually be jailed for five years. And in the meantime, he would be sent to go live um, in mcmackin to live with his aunt and his uncle and his eight-year-old cousin joanne i like joanne joanne's a badass um and she's not stupid (laughs) so that's a lot to say about joanne nice um so one year later in 1940 when charles is five he's had some issues and they're really starting to come out at this point um he was smaller than most of the kids his age thus he got bullied relentlessly for it Um, his aunt and his uncle really turned to Joanne and were like, Hey, we need you to look out for him, you know, make sure that he doesn't get picked on. Like they really like leaned on her to just kind of be like a a big sibling, like an older sibling figure to him. Um, and she had no problems doing that, which I thought was really cool. Cause usually in these kinds of stories, it's like, we're taking you in because the fuck up of the family forced it on us. And it's usually not a good thing, but his aunt and his uncle really did love him. They were religious people, um, not as overly religious as his grandmother, but they really did try to say the least. Um, he was a habitual liar and this would go out for the rest of his life. He would oftentimes always blame other people for anything that happened, anything bad that happened, he would always disassociate and just blame others for anything that went wrong. Um, and that I think has a lot to do with like, not, I mean, it's partially like a manipulation technique, but I think, but it's also like, if you're a habitual liar, it's like anything to make you look in a positive light, 
And this really comes into play for Joanne when um, one day he was being bullied and Joanne ran up and bit this bully's finger (laughs) to protect Charles. And the bully eventually ran away. (laughs) Gross. Does she not know where like fingers are and go and all sorts of (laughs) And I'm not a germaphobe, but man, grubby fingers, man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were kids. So I think she was like three years older than him or something. So she was probably like eight or nine. Yeah. And so she ran up. That's why kids have pink eye all the time because they're gross, germy little (laughs) beans. They don't wash their hands. Well, I'm totally here for it. I was like, she bit his finger. I love how that was her reaction to that. I was like, I'm just going to bite this person. But he runs off like it works. And of course, this teacher is just like, oh, my God, like Joanne, like this is not like you. Like, why would you bite him? And she's like, because he's fucking picking on my cousin. Like what? Like, I'm going to defend him. And apparently by this point, all the teachers knew he was a liar and he lied about everything. And when they asked Charles, like, did this really happen? Like, were you being bullied? And she bit him to protect you. And he tells them, I was never there. I was not a part of that. Like that was between them. What a little asshole. Right. And I was like, is that to protect your dignity? Right. Like my older cousin had to protect me from being bullied and it was a girl. So I don't know. Yeah. That, or he's just like, doesn't want to like, yeah. Like you said, it's about, it's about himself. Really seems already. He cares only about himself. Oh yeah. And So the teachers believed Joanne because they already knew he was a liar. This wasn't new for them, but that was a a turning point for her where she was like, oh, this is who you are. So that was Mm -hmm. a thing for her. Um, And then another traumatic point in Charles's life, aside from basically being abandoned by his father and his mother, and then he gets bullied all the time. Um, and he has to be reliant on his cousin, who is a girl. And I have to keep saying this because this is the 1940s. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, when he goes into, I mean, he's five at this point. So that's what? Like, that's kindergarten? Right? Kindergarten, first grade when you're five? Mm, yeah, No, it's kindergarten because that's what Jax is in right now. And he's five, going on six. So this kid's five years old. And he has this teacher who relentlessly would make fun of him because his mom was incarcerated like from day one his teacher she would just ridicule him in front of the entire class um and on his first day he ran home crying like he left class and he ran home crying and because this is the 1940s and men don't cry his uncle wasn't having any of it so he was like boys don't cry and regardless of what made you cry i'm gonna punish you So what he made Charles do is he made Charles put on one of Joanne's dresses and then go to school the next day wearing her dress. Okay, that's what I do feel bad for for Charles at that point. But yeah, like that's his attempt of like, don't cry, men don't cry. And this was his way of teaching him 
to like suck it up is to traumatize this bullied kid already by bullying. Yeah, him. like here, don't cry now, especially now that I'm making you dress as a girl and go to school. Yeah, it's like that. If you want to cry like a girl, like you can dress like one. Like that's kind of what I hear in my head. And I'm just like, gross. So we're going to jump forward a couple of years to 1941 when Charles is seven. Um, it was a very big event for Joanne. Like I said, she already had one moment, but now this is kind of showing Charles becoming violent. Now he's had like little fits and bits here and there, and he would like taunt other kids. But now his violent tendencies are just kind of skyrocketing. So his aunt and his uncle, they were, they had to leave to go run some errands. And so they put Joanne in charge. She's 10 years old at this time. And they tell her like, hey, we need you to babysit Charles. Make sure he helps you do the chores. Like the standard stuff parents tell siblings to do when they're both gone, right? Like mm-hmm. you're in charge. Make sure you guys do your chores, clean the house, do this. Boom, by the time we come back. So she's like, okay, dude, like you need to help me clean the house. And he's like, I'm not doing that. Like he absolutely refused to help her do the chores. Um, And she got really annoyed and she was like, okay, well, like kind of like, fuck you, then I'm just going to do it. So she's trying to do these chores and he's like trying to stop her from doing them to the point where he gets so mad. He goes out into the yard and he brings a sickle in from like the yard. And for those who don't know like what a sickle is, it's like, think of like a scythe or a whatever and just like make it into like a crescent moon shape. And people yeah, use like the it little, to like, like, to like hack things off, you know, like the, like gardening and whatnot. Yeah. Or, or like, or, you know, chopping heads off like too. Like harvest and stuff. Or yeah, chop or heads chopping off. off heads. Yeah. And so he brings this inside and he starts chasing her with it. And he's like chasing her with this sickle And he's doing it just because he wants her to stop doing the chores. And she gets fed up and she's like, you know what? Fuck this kid. And she locks him outside. (laughs) (laughs) So they have a a country town. I don't, I don't know where like McMacken is or whatever. I actually thought, I mean, I didn't even think to look that up, which I normally do, but whatever. So she locks him outside, but they have like a screen door, right? It's like a country house screen door and she said in an interview later in life she was like it was this particular moment that terrified me because he's never been violent with me before she's like but when I locked him outside he looked at me and like he wanted he started to attack the door with the sickle and started like cutting up the screen trying to get back inside the house and she's like the way he looked at me was like he was not only trying to get his way back into the house but he wanted to hurt me because i locked him outside and it terrified her naturally he has a weapon (laughs) yeah um, so obviously he didn't kill her but he obviously scared her a lot and it probably i mean there was no more information on that but i could probably assume it turned into like oh i was just playing it was just a joke like i wasn't actually trying to do anything but i destroyed the door (laughs) in the process So then um, we're going to take a little side note and kind of talk about this condition. Have you ever heard of the term callous and unemotional children? Not really. That's one I haven't heard. Yeah. That's also because the child that lives with me is overly emotional. (laughs) Yeah. Well, callous and unemotional children are um, 
I don't know if it's in the DSM five, but it's used. It's like, it's a term that psychologists like to use um, more so than referring to underage children as uh, psychotic or have any kind of psychosis because they feel that they're not developed enough that I think a lot of it too has to do with like, well, we don't want to label them, right? Like we don't want to stigmatize them as like, oh, this eight-year-old is a psycho or like they're a, um, oh my God, why am I brain farting right now? Psychopath, Christ. Um, (laughs) And things like that, because that's a, that's a heavy weighted term, mainly because as you and I both know, when people hear the word psychopath, they automatically assume serial killers, right? Like you're a dangerous person. Yeah. So they've kind of rearranged it to a broader spectrum of traits. And now it's callous and emotional children. So this is an article from the website I talked about the um, ijponline.biomedcentral.com. And in their article, it says callous unemotional traits consist of lack of empathy and remorse with short lived emotions the daring impulsive domain, also named impulsivity or psychopathy related impulsivity traits include irresponsibility, proneness to boredom, novelty seeking and antisocial behavior. And this can come from a multitude of ways because a big thing about Charles Manson that I didn't really clock until I started digging into him is there's a wide range of opinions on his mental state. It was like, there are some doctors that say, yes, he was a he was, um, he had schizophrenia and then there are some, like, he wasn't, he was just very manipulative and he was, he was completely coherent when he was doing what he was doing. But so like, there's, but there is no official diagnosis. They do give him one later on, um, it's like paranoid delusions. Everyone can agree that he has, and oh, obviously, yeah. yeah, like paranoid delusions and being manipulative, and all that kind of stuff. But there's this 50-50 divide on if he was a schizophrenic, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and so that brings me to this, because as a child, they were like, well, is this a nature versus nurture thing? Was he born this way? Was he not born this way? And um, the podcast I listened to, they talked about this a little bit. And, and I agree with them. I'm like, it was probably a combination of both. You know, I agree he was, with you. That's literally exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it, it, it has to be both. Yeah. Like there's probably some underlying um, biological stuff that he got from his mom and his dad, but then to grow up knowing your dad wants nothing to do with you, knowing your mom could care less, being shuffled between family members, um, being humiliated, being bullied, having to you know, pretend basically, um, and having fits of emotional rage and then not being able to hold yourself accountable. Like it's always someone else's fault. Like there's a lot going on there. Um, as I, oh yeah. So as I had said before, like he was eventually diagnosed with something. So as an adult, he would eventually go on to be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, um, and paranoid delusional disorder with this 50, 50 thing of schizophrenia. Right. So if anyone is um, feeling like, hey, that's my kid (laughs) or that's my sister, brother, niece, nephew, um, not to like put you out there, but, you know, 
um, they do say if you're dealing with a child, uh, they've learned over the years that these um, callous and unemotional children, the best way to handle them is uh, they're motivated with rewards. These children have an overactive reward pathway in their brain. So giving them a reward actually goes a long way. And so you, it kind of sounds fucked up, but I get it. It's like, if they're callous and unemotional, then that's how they can do things without feeling remorse, right? Like that's what scares people about people who are psychotic or have, you know, different kinds of tendencies. And it's like, if they don't feel bad about what they're doing, then there's a whole world that opens up for you to do things that society deems wrong. Right. Right. And you're basically teaching these children with rewards that if you do good, you get a prize is basically how it goes down. Um, whereas, you know, back then it was always negative reinforcement. You're going to get punished, but Charles, was not responsive to punishment, which is a common trait in these kids of like, he would be punished, he would be spanked, he'd be beaten, he'd be whatever, but he didn't care. Like the pain didn't bother him. So now we know, give them a reward and you have a better chance of teaching them to be behavioral, behave in society, right? So back to our story. Um, Charles is now eight, 1942. And this is when his mom gets paroled. So his mom finally gets paroled and he actually goes to move in with her and he goes to live with her in Charleston. Um, Now he's starting to have more behavioral problems. He's started to skip school um, and he's decided that he wants things. So he's learned that he can charm older women because he was a cute little kid. And he starts charming older women into giving him money for candy, which seems harmless in itself, but we're seeing early on the manipulation of people, right? I mean, older women, but people in general. Um, And then eventually he would also be stealing. So he was manipulating older women to give him money for candy. He was skipping school. And then he started stealing just like his mom was. And he eventually, um, he would get caught, but he would always blame on other people. I think him and it was like a story I read him and a, a friend they skipped school and they robbed somebody. And, um, when they got caught, he blamed it on his friend. Like he totally was like, that wasn't me. I wasn't there or I wasn't a part of it. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. He definitely does not like when he's done something. (laughs) No, he's never at fault. There's no, there's no fault there. Um, so a few years later when he's 12, it's now 1947, Charles is now 12 years old. He's sent to the Jibo school for boys um, as a hope of correcting his behavior. His mom has finally had enough of his shit. And this was really popular, not only in the 40s, but this was a common thing shit through like the 70s. Of like people would send their kids like reform schools to um what are they not boarding schools? What are those other ones that it's like anyway, military school kind of? Yes, that's the that's what I'm thinking of military schools because it's almost like that scared straight, right? Like yeah. If you're gonna act like a bad kid, we'll put you with bad kids, and you're gonna get ironed out. Yeah, right? basically, like, well, this is what your future is gonna look like if you you know continue. Hmm. So he gets sent to Jibo or Jibo for a school for boys in hopes of correcting his behavior when he's twelve. He will go on. I'll just say this now. He spends the majority of his life in and out of 
reform schools, and jail. So if you thought it worked, it didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, in 1948, when he's 13 years old, uh, he runs away from the school and he commits a B&E, which is a break and enter for those who don't know what a B&E is. And he's robbing, he has robbing stores. So he runs away, he breaks and enters into the store, he robs it and he gets caught. And they're like, okay, well, this obviously isn't working. So we need to up your sentence and where you're at. So he gets sentenced to Boys Town, which is the most famous school for troubled boys at the time. And I'm assuming this is still in maybe South Carolina, if he still stayed there. Um, But only after four days, Charles and another boy, Blackie was his nickname. Uh, They stole a car. So they break out, they steal a car and they drive to Illinois. They're gone. While they're gone, they commit two armed robberies uh, and they begin helping Blackie's uncle, who was a professional thief, which I've never heard that term before in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, what, where do you get qualified as professional thief? What do you have to do? I'm like, yeah, like what, what are the minimum qualifications and who determines these? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like where, what do I put on my resume to say like in training? I don't know. <laughs> I, like whenever I think of that, like it just it reminds me of like you know like in the movies when you see those crazy like pickpocketers, you know that just like out of nowhere like all of a sudden you're like <laughs> missing like a watch, or like half your like purse is gone, like in like a yeah. blink of an eye, your your wedding ring is off your finger somehow and you don't even know. Mm-hmm. So, professional thief. They start helping his uncle. But in 1949, when he is 14 years old, they would be arrested or at least he gets arrested and he's sentenced now to Indiana's boys school, which is a serious reform school compared to the two that he had been at prior. So you have to remember, this is over the course of two years, two years and now three reform schools and a bunch of robbery um, and stuff later, which must run in the family. Um, this, <laughs> this, I don't mean to laugh this. I'm not laughing at this. That was poorly planned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this school that I'm not laughing at what happens at this school. Please don't take that to heart. So this school um, was, like I said, a serious reform school. And basically, I also say similar to like jails and penitentiaries, like there's its own underground world. You know, you go in and shit's just bad. So he's 14 years old and sexual abuse is rampant inside of this reform school and that's like student on student kind of sexual abuse going on um so it's rampant and charles i guess in the interview later on he claims that while he was there um very shortly after he arrived he was raped so we're already jumping into more trauma and you can only assume it's going to amplify some emotions and some behaviors Um, It was also noted and noticed by other doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists uh, that how manipulative he was and the manipulative techniques that he would use to help him basically survive there. And he would use it on whoever he saw he could gain favor from or he could gain something from, which I am like, oh, I know exactly what that's like because of Mandy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mandy was really good at like, I will be the best person. And then once I get everything from you that I need, I'm going to 
just fuck off. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah. So some of his survival techniques, as I labeled them, um, he called it the insane game. And what he would do is he would, the insane game, he would just scream. Like he would start screaming randomly. And he would convince other inmates, other kids there, that he was batshit crazy. So they were scared of him. Like he would convince them that he was insane. So they wouldn't want to mess with him. And then he would just do random things. And he called it the insane game. And I'm like, that's, I mean, I guess scaring, maybe people scared of you is probably a good way of keeping yourself safe. Right. Especially if he's kind of smart, really. Yeah. I mean, if you're assaulted very early on because you're already smaller than everybody else, you already have a disadvantage. If you make people scared of you, shit. Yeah. So as he did in every reform school before, he attempted to escape not once, not twice, but four times in 1949 alone. So in the first year he's there, he attempts to escape. And then he was successful on his last attempt. Uh, Him and five other boys were able um, to escape the facility, but they actually got caught by the officers on site. So there's like, it's like a jail, right? There's a building and then there's the grounds and then there's like the gate. And so they didn't Mm -hmm. get out of the gate. They got caught. Um, Fast forward to when he's 16 in 1951, um, him and two others escape again. This time successfully, they steal a car, um, but they're also captured literally after a couple of days of being on the run. So he's captured at 16 for stealing a car and he gets sent to the National Training School where he was also noted to continue to to show manipulative and charming behaviors without putting any work in. Um, So in other words, he's trying to manipulate and charm people, not only uh, peers, but now doctors and teachers and professionals to try and like, just like get himself by, but without having to put any of the work in that he needs to do while he's there. And he actually successfully at 16 years old convinces a psychiatrist that all of his troubles are due to that, the fact that his mother denied him love and affection his entire life. Yeah, but that's a lot <laughs> of people, dude, okay? Mm-hmm. Again, but, it's not his fault. There's no responsibility yeah. on his part for why he's acting this way. It's all mom's fault, right? There's plenty of moms out there that shouldn't have probably been moms, but not everybody, not all their children end up like Charles Manson. Exactly. So he convinces the psychiatrist of this. And what I found was bananas was this doctor was aware that he would do this. They were aware of the notes from all his previous schools, all his previous doctors. And then this doctor is like, well, you know, I think he just needs to be in an environment that can foster that love and that attention and that affection that he's just been neglected his entire life, which I'm not denying he was, but I'm also not going to say that it's all mommy dearest's fault. Right. Right. Like, you know, obviously 
his situation sucks ass for sure, but that also doesn't mean that you get to be a total twat. Exactly. So <clears throat> because of this hopelessly optimistic doctor, um, she decides that the school that he's in, which was, I said, like the national training school, was too harsh. So she has him transferred to Nature Bridge, which comparatively would be a lower level or like less, I don't know, strict. It's not, it's going to be for bad people, right? Which is a bad idea. (laughs) So she thinks Nature Bridge is going to help Charles foster the love and affection he never had. They'll be able to help him. And they'll be able to nurture him and blah, 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 blah. Well, if he's callous and unemotional, that's not really going to work. No. Um, so he gets sent to Nature Bridge. And uh, while he's there, his parole comes up to be released, which it gets denied. Why did it get denied, you ask? Well, let me tell you. He's denied parole from the school because he came in on the pretense of the doctor that He's just misunderstood, basically. Multiple times, he was unable to display the appropriate behaviors that they deemed that they needed to see for him to be released. He was unable to do those things. He was also caught violently raping another boy at the school while holding a switchblade to his throat. He said, he's a twat. And I'm like, so you put him in a less serious situation that he was able to take full control over and not only exude the same types of traumas that were put on him onto others, but now at an elevated level of violence, right? Like there's a real threat that I'm going to die if I don't do this. Right, right. So he's almost, he's learned through his own trauma, how to inflict trauma onto somebody else, basically. He's mm-hmm. like, well, if this was done to me, then, you know, I know exactly what to do back to these people, you know, finally, finally, you know, maybe he's big enough now, or he feels more in control now that, you know, he can take the power, basically. Exactly. That's, that's what it is, is he's finding his sense of control over a situation. And he's using like those techniques and those ways to manipulate people into doing what he wants and then if he doesn't get what he wants violence is a very suitable option because i mean it's never gotten him never done him wrong up to this point right did you have like a second white claw like on standby i did (laughs) (laughs) i saw that i was like just pour another one (laughs) Mm -hmm. i didn't want to break the show you know what i mean (laughs) <laughs> i will say um this is the first time i'm using this mug to drink something out of it and i hope i caught it earlier when i poured the first one in here you were not in the room but the pour sound was like the perfect pour sounds like our intro yes our <laughs> intro noise and i'm like oh please let that that's so satisfying so this is a very great pour sound kinsey <laughs> fabulous job so Anyway, so um, back to less fun topics. 
you can assume his parole got denied because they're like, yeah, no, he's doing everything the opposite that you said (laughs) that he needed. So his parole gets denied. And as probably assumed, he would be transferred again to a place called the Federal Reformatory. So by this time, he's committed so many sexual acts of violence against other students that he's deemed extremely dangerous by the time he gets to this school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So while he's there, it continues. They're like, we cannot handle him. So the federal reformatory actually has a maximum security wing, which is exactly where he goes. Um, And while he was there, he seemed to finally make an effort to become a model prisoner and he learned how to read. So I'll ask you, why do you think he suddenly had a change of personality when he got sent to maximum security? I think maybe, now this is a big maybe. My theory is, is like when he got sent there, he, it dawned on him like, shit, like they're taking this, like there's nowhere like he can even manipulate now because they, I would assume, especially since of all the like the sexual history and stuff like that, he was probably like isolated, like probably solitary, like confinement almost type situation. So it's like when he's pushed to that point, like and put in that kind of situation, there's nobody to manipulate. So he's basically stuck. And he probably was like, well, I can't be the little twat that I usually am. So I guess I'll try to like show that I'm being good, you know, but I, I'm, I'm going to just. I'm going to take a wild guess that once he gets back around other individuals, he'll go back to his little twat ways. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, because when you're, you know, because pulling from experience, like when you no longer have outlets to manipulate, to take advantage of, you yourself have to prove that you're no longer worth or you're no longer you should no longer be subjected to the treatment you're getting. You have to convince people. I don't think he truly had a change of heart. I mean, great, you learned how to read. That's great, good for you. I mean, probably a bad thing going forward, but whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So good for you for learning how to read. But I think he did it just to show like, oh my gosh, like this is working. Like you're reforming me. I'm being rehabilitated. Like I'm a good person now, let me out. Yeah, please let me around people so I can go sexually harass and be an asshole. Yeah. So by the time he was 19 in 1954, he is released. He's finally paroled. He is released to the care of his aunt and his uncle. Um, It blessed their souls. You know what I mean? Like they, even though his uncle did some, I don't condone what he did when he was a child, but at least they were like, yeah, we'll take him back. Even though he chased our kid with a sickle and even though he, you know, whatever, but, um, he then began to attend church with his grandmother. So he was going to church with his grandmother. And this is a pivotal moment in his life. This, when he goes to church, I still think it's that whole, like, put on a pretty show, show everyone that I'm okay. So they don't send me back right away. 
So he's going to church with his grandmother who really loved him. Like they say, like she like showered him with love and affection. Like she did the grandmotherly thing, but he was unreceptive to that because I don't think he knows how to accept true love. Like, I don't think he knows how to uh, accept that with, because he's used to a transactional thing. If I pretend to care for you, you'll give me what I want, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whatever. But when like a grandparent just wants to dote on you because they love that you exist, he doesn't know how to handle that because there's no, there's no payoff for them. Right. So they said, I guess like she had an interview and she was like, he just would push her away. But anyway, so he's going to church with grandma. And it's while he's in church that he begins to refine and polish his tactics, if you will, and the traits that would become the model for his family, right? Beginning with um, mastering his ability to talk, to charm, seduce, and manipulate girls. I mean, he's 19 years old, and realistically, the only people he's ever had sex with were other inmates. And um, as far as we all know, Charles wasn't gay or bisexual, but you know, you're going to do what you're going to do. And so he wanted to go from there. So he's going to church with his grandmother and he's using an opportunity while he, they said that when he was in Sunday school, it's weird to think of a 19 year old in Sunday school, but like, whatever. Um, (laughs) right. Like it's weird. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, he's 19. Like if we really think about it, he's 19. He's been incarcerated since he was 12. That's like, ugh. Yeah. So almost half of his life, he's been in jail. Anyway, so by the time, within one year of his release, he's now 20 years old. It's 1955. All of his charming and wooing girls and practicing and manipulating and blah 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 he finally proposes and marries a girl named rosalie and honestly everyone was excited for them um they said for a while everything was actually quiet and he got a real job and he was taking care of his wife um and they were actually enjoying a very nice middle class lifestyle um him and his wife were doing their thing and then in the summer uh 1955 I think it was yeah she um I don't know she was pregnant right so now Charles is the father to be and to prepare for the newborn baby and he decides to go back to his old ways and he starts stealing cars again to make some extra cash this would eventually be his undoing because he decides um that they should go visit and eventually move to Los Angeles where his mother is. I don't know why he wants to go see his mom. They don't really say it. He just decides and Rosalie's like, sure, let's just go to your, go visit your mom in LA. So he steals a car. I don't think Rosalie was aware of this. I, I mean, they don't ever say anything, but I'm like, did he have a car? Did she think that was his car? Because they drove a stolen car all the way to LA. Right. Well, maybe, maybe he could have said too, though, that like, Maybe he said like, oh, my friend's car. Like we're borrowing my friend's car. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so they drive to LA in this stolen car. Um, and it was not long after they get there that he was caught um, and arrested. 
And then he would eventually be examined by a psychiatrist um, because they wanted to put him on, they wanted to try him because he got to LA. He had been driving in a stolen car. I think they said he stole another car or something. And they had been fought, like telling him they arrest him. So he gets examined by the psychiatrist. And this is totally because of the times. It's 1955. We all have to remember it's like 1955, 1956. So he gets examined by the psychiatrist. He's got this entire past behind him. Um, and he tells the psychiatrist that he is unable to live a normal life because he spent most of his life in reform schools. And this doctor took all of that into consideration. So he tells this doctor, I don't know how to live in normal society. I don't know how to function without doing the shit that I've always done. So he's saying, I'm going to do this again. It's really what he's telling this doctor. Uh And the doctor's like, you know, judge, he's got a baby on the way. And yeah, he's got, he's a father to be. He's going to have a baby. I think we should just give him probation. People disgust me. (laughs) And he gets probation. So, and you think like, okay, well, there's some, no, there's not. So he decides, fuck that. I don't want probation. So literally before his hearing, uh, they decide to leave. So he packs up Rosalie and puts her in a car and they fucking flee. I don't remember where they went, but he skipped. So he just he didn't even want like to deal with probation. He was just like, I just don't want anything at all. Like I want zero punishment. Mm-hmm. Or did he like actually want to go back into these reform schools? Because I feel like at first I was like, mm, that's just some like reverse psychology there, you know, which really is what it was. Saying like, mm-hmm. hey, this is the only place I belong. And they're like, mm, no, like, <laughs> like that's a classic like reverse psychology thing. But then it's like, the fuck, dude? Like. Just deal with the fucking probation. I thought I'm like a slap on the wrist, like probation shit. No, he was like, um, no, thank you. I don't want to have to report to a parole officer. So unbeknownst to her, he packs her up in the car. They skip town and he is um, eventually arrested very shortly after that because he is driving a stolen car. I'ean, like, what's his end goal here? Like. Do you think that he's not going to get arrested? <laughs> I mean, I just feel like it's something to do with like, he wants control of the situation and it, the idea of having to report to someone else and giving them the control, like just, he won't have it, right? Like I'm an adult now. I'm a husband. That's my pregnant wife and baby. Like whatever. It's the alpha male bullshit. I think there's a lot of that going on there. Um, This time- Judge is like, go fuck yourself. No probation for you this time. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, by the way, in case you didn't know, he his probation was going to be five years. That's what he was going to get. Five years probation for all the car theft he was doing. Packs up, skips town with his wife. In 1956, when he's 21 years old, very soon after the birth of his son, um, he's arrested because of the stolen cars. So he's arrested um, and he's sent to San Pedro's Terminal Island Penitentiary. And this is after I had to put this note in here because I would love to do like a bonus episode on the legacy after him, like the shit that happened to his son 
and his grandson is bananas. Like I didn't even know about this stuff until I started looking into it. And then I went down this rabbit hole and I was like, I can't talk about all this. I'm going to just forget the rest of the story. So that would be interesting to hear. Dude, shit's. I felt so bad for his son. His son, he named Charles Manson Jr. Um, uh, barf. <laughs> so <laughs> Charles Manson Jr. would go on to legally change his name to Jay White. So he would. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't so, blame him at all whatsoever there. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So he gets arrested. He's sent to prison. In 1956, he's only 21 years old. Like he's lived a life by this point. <laughs> um, while he's in jail, now he's in big boy jail, right? He's in penitentiary. He like actual jail. <laughs> and who does he befriend? He befriends some pimps. And these pimps, oh yeah, these Big pimps friends. teach him good friends, right? Pimps need friends too. Um, and they teach charles uh how to manipulate and abuse women's weak points in order to control them so that's a lot of domestic violence um type things that they do you know find their weak point how to pinpoint women who have bad parental relationships exploit them by convincing them that you're the only person that understands them and loves them and <clears throat> making them believe that you're the only one that could ever understand them, love them, and then beating them to scare them into staying. And it's this vicious, vicious cycle, which is how they end up pimping women out, right? So they teach him this magical world of pimping. And he's <laughs> like, bet. And then he goes on to take a course called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And they noted that this was like one course that he actually really absorbed in. So he learns how to influence people and how to win friends, whatever this is. So no, no hate to Dale Carnegie. I don't know what that is. I'm sure the the intention was nice, but yeah. So how to win people over. Um, And they say like, there's one piece of this lesson that he took and it was make sure the other guy thinks the idea is there. So I think it was like a business thing. I think it was like a business seminar or a business course because most of the time when it's like you're convincing someone that the idea is theirs, that's usually, that's a business tactic. Like I have what you need, but if you think it's your idea, then you're more likely to buy into it, right? Yeah. So that's, and that comes in later because that's the technique that he uses to get people to commit murder for him without him telling people to kill people. Convince them it's their idea. Yeah. So 1957, he's now 22. Um, By this point, Rosalie decides to divorce him and she would go on to remarry. Um, So she leaves him at 22 years old. And then in 1958, when he's 23, he is released and he decides to move in with his mother because he has nowhere else to go. Shortly after moving in with his mom, he begins pimping out a young woman named Leona. So he learned something, didn't he? Um, I don't know what happens to Leona. My assumption is either he moves on or she moves on, but he starts with her. And then in 1961, when he's 26 years old, 
he is arrested again for stealing money, um, for stealing money in cars. And then he sent to McNeil Island, which is another jail. Here, it gets so much better. What did he study next? Because he learned how to read, remember? He studies Scientology. Gross. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, it gets better. So he studies Scientology, which helps him further his abilities um, and foster the ability to manipulate others because it's exactly Where's grandma to be whole- like, no. <laughs> I think grandma's maybe dead at this point. <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, man. Like he, so he learns how to manipulate people the Scientology way. Um, I wonder if he's like in their Hall of Fame. Like, look who also studied Scientology. <laughs> the famous people of Scientology. And it's just Doesn't like matter if they're horrible people either, though. <laughs> Red flag. Red flag, red flag. <laughs> <laughs> Literally the whole wall, just red flags. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he also discovers the Beatles when he's incarcerated. The Beatles, like the band? Well, yes. And this, they play a huge part in his, in, they actually play a very big part in his life going forward after he discovers them. I mean, that's cool. I mean, Charles, their music's pretty good, so. But hopefully yeah, exactly. he, he doesn't make it negative. <laughs> he, he twists a bunch of their stuff. So oh, of course. he discovers the Beatles and he already knows how to play the guitar. And he's like, I want to be a famous musician like the Beatles because I want people to basically, he wants to be able to have manipulative control and influence over people that they do. Like he saw how famous Beatles were and the the hold they had over their fans he wanted that for himself and he wanted that fame and that devotion that's really what he wanted and I think that's why he idolized the Beatles I don't think it was anything else other than like how did they do it and I want to do it so I want to be a famous musician because of that so there's his goal he wants to be a famous musician so in 1967 when he's 32 years old now he's paroled and he decides to move to San Francisco. Now, what 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 do you think is happening in 1967 in San Francisco at this point in time? Almost isn't that close to like Woodstocky kind of time too. Hmm. Like peace, There's, love, peace, and- yeah, peace, love, that kind of shit. Like it's, I know that gets more in like into the 70s more, but. I, that's mm-hmm. kind of like what I would feel like, especially in like San Francisco of all places. <clears throat> yes. So the peace, the love, but also like war protests are happening. Yeah. And the Black Panther movement is happening. And he's uh, like, he's like fucking culture shocked when he gets to San Francisco because he's like, what? Like Black people are being like they're voicing their rights like they're rising up against the white man like literally like he's like in awe of like the state of the world because i mean shit the last time he was free was when he was 23 so in 1958 so it's 1967 and he's like the world is changing like black people are taking their voice back which 
good for them. But also people are protesting the war and everyone's like free love and peace. He's like, that's not what he, that's not the world that he remembered. So he's like, how do I adapt? I have nowhere to live. I have nowhere to stay. I have no money. I have no job. So what does Charles Manson do? He goes to Berkeley. (laughs) He goes to Berkeley. He goes to Berkeley's campus. Just goes to Berkeley. And he, he hangs out for a couple of days observing how the students interact and observing what they're talking about. And it's very much this like peace, love for all. Why do we have to go to war? Like it's very much this movement. And he basically adapts this. And he says later on in an interview, he was like, I would just mirror back to people what they wanted. He's like, that's what I would do. He's like, I would just mirror what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to believe. And then they would just believe me because I just did it. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. Like when you can't emotionally connect with the person and you need something, you can do that and instantly their guard is down, you know? Yeah. So he's homeless, he's in Berkeley and eventually it works. He meets a woman named Mary Brunner who would go on to be his very first follower of the family. So another pivotal moment for him. Um, And he makes a connection with her and he convinces her that he's the only one that really understands her and the only one that would ever love her. And he moves in with her. Not only does he move in with her, he uses the free love and peace movement to convince her to allow, allow him to bring other women into her home uh, and into their relationship. And by relationship, I mean, have sex with him. That's what I mean. And that's really kind of where like the construction of like the family really begins because he gets a few of these women because he's convinced um, Mary that that's what needs to happen. And she's on board. And so just a little bit about the family. So here's how the family kind of came to be. So they would travel in a rainbow painted bus like a school bus that was painted in a rainbow and they would just drive around recruiting new members and eventually they would settle in los angeles um at the height of his whole cult there was a hundred people in his cult but only 25 to 30 of them were really dedicated followers that if he was like shit your pants right now they would literally shit their pants right now like that's what he had so I mean, that's a pretty good ratio. Like almost 30% of your population would literally kill for you. (laughs) But then he had a core, a core following. Like that's a really bad motion, but (laughs) a really core set of people. I would probably say he had five or six real followers, like the core of his family, whatever. I've said core a lot. Drinking game. How many times do I say core? Um, so in 1968 um the family moves to the spawn movie ranch in los angeles uh they are allowed to live there free of charge in exchange for just doing some chores around the farm and keeping it clean and functional he's like i still want to be a famous musician and i'm going to do this by using the women of my following to help them become a famous musician i don't know how but i'm going to do it pretty girls right people love pretty women Uh um and magically this is about to take a total left turn it actually works so somehow um dennis wilson and if you don't know who dennis wilson is he's actually the drummer for the beach boys sees 
two of Manson's followers hitchhiking and he picks them up. So he takes them back to the ranch where he meets Charles Manson. And when he meets Charles Manson, Manson literally gets on his hands and knees and kisses his fucking feet. I'd have been like, please get up. That's really uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, he did say like it kind of freaked him out. Like that really freaked him out. But he was able to identify weak points in this in this interaction with Dennis and he manipulates Dennis. Like he, he gives Dennis drugs and then he gives him women to sleep with him. He's like, you're going to go have sex with that guy. And they would go have sex with that guy. And he would give him drugs and they would just chat. And they all of a sudden became homies. And he was able to identify some points in Dennis's personality that were weak and he manipulated it. And Dennis actually buys one of Charles Manson's songs. So we're about to get into this. I'm like, did you know? Because I didn't fucking know this. So he buys a song from Charles Manson called Cease to Exist. And then because he knew Dennis, he introduces Charles Manson to Terry Melcher. We don't know who Terry Melcher is. He's actually the son of Doris Day, a very famous actress. He was also a very big producer and he produced, he, he would produce with the Beach Boys. So because his followers hitchhiked Charles Manson met Dennis Dennis introduces him to Terry and now he's like this is how I'm gonna get famous I'm gonna get signed and become famous everyone will follow me I can get my message out blah 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 blah. I could be like the Beatles I mean I guess he manifested pretty damn good then because that's that is some strange luck fucking right right (laughs) Like so what, what is your, what is your was, manifesting you did? Cause I need to, I need that. I mean, apparently you need to go to jail for most of your life and learn how to pimp out people. That's mm. what you need to do and learn Scientology. Yeah. No, not willing. I will say one thing, you know, because Scientologists are fucking nuts and they think that they're, they can do whatever they want. I'm like, Charles Manson literally learned your tactics and then was like, that's cool and then just do did that for his own cult and he could give two fucks about your religion so what's really say about your religion right but anyway besides the point so he's excited he's like i'm finally going to be famous blah 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 blah. no the three of them would have a very messy falling out And what ends up happening is Terry Melcher decides he's not going to sign Charles Manson. He's like, I'm not signing you because there was an incident that happened on the ranch where Terry witnessed Charles get into a fight with a stuntman. I'm I'm guessing they still used the lot for shoots and movies and stuff. And he witnessed him like get into this like bloody ass fight with this stuntman. And he was like, you're a liability. Like, I'm not fucking signing you. Yeah, so no, he decides I'm not signing. imagine like having somebody like that be a part yeah. of like your your what you produce like people are gonna not want to use you ever again yeah and he's like one of the top producers in Hollywood at the time and like he's like no like you're not worth my reputation and you're just too much of a liability so he doesn't sign him Charles is pissed to top it off Dennis has now cut ties with Charles because he got sick and tired of them mooching off of him and they eventually racked up like a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt to dennis's name and so he was like go fuck yourself like i'm out and charles is pissed but what sends him over the deep end 
is Dennis rewrites a bunch of the lyrics to the song that he purchased from Charles and he even changes the name. So if anyone out there is a Beach Boy fan um, or if you yourself, Shannon, if you've ever heard of the song uh, Never Learn Not to Love is actually the rewritten song um, by Charles Manchin Manson which has ceased to exist so he rewrote some of the lyrics he changed the name and Charles was pissed about that but he was even more pissed because he didn't put Charles as one of the writers he put himself solely as the writer of the song and he was like I'm fucking done with this guy so he like threatened his life he demanded he be made a writer and he was like go fuck yourself that's he did that solely just to get back at him because of all the shit that he all the debt he racked up and all the shit that he pulled Mm. and obviously he was pissed because he was like that was my chance to be famous and naturally none of that's his fault it's not his fault right it's everyone else never never um but if you're familiar with the charles manson murders or the Sharon Tate murders as they're called why I mean the biggest question we're not going to dive into right now but the biggest question is why did they pick the house of Sharon Tate well Terry Melcher when him and Charles would hang out they would hang out at Terry Melcher's house and where was Terry Melcher's house at the time that you ask where is my note he lived at 11050 Cielo Drive which is where Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski would eventually move into. So he never forgot where, where Terry lived. And he was like, I'm going to remember this. And he just like kept it in the back of his brain. So that's important to know because it's like, you know, why did he pick them? It's because he just knew the address. So Some of the things I looked up, so the hierarchy and the rules of the Manson family, and then this is kind of be where we kind of leave off. We're going to talk a little bit about the general overview of the family and then Helter Skelter, and then we're going to cut because next next time we're going to talk into like the the murders. So uh, he firmly believed that men, um, women should listen to men but the highest point in this hierarchy with little boys little boys should be allowed to learn whatever they want do whatever they want be doted on and loved on they need to grow in this cult however so little boys are basically at the top of this hierarchy and basically were given a free pass to do whatever they want and no one could tell them no and next was little girls because he was a big believer that children need to develop and blah, 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 blah. So then little girls were under that. And then it was adult men. Adult men were very next in line. And then adult women needed to listen to anything that the man said. If they were going to commit a crime, he was like a male follower has to leave it. A female follower can't leave it. They just follow. They do what they're told. They serve the men that did. So that was kind of like this weird hierarchy he had involved. And here were 10 rules that I found that the followers of the family had to abide by. So number one, you had to take LSD daily. So he kept these people fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, fucked up. Yeah, I mean, like, how do you not die? 
dude, I have no idea. But he would make people take LSD daily, but he wouldn't always do it. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, he needed to stay coherent. Um, This one was weird. Um, Members, like adult members, were forced to drink breast milk from incarcerated female members. Um, Because apparently, and you don't hear it a lot about him and his family because, like, what they did was so weird. But, like, he was a big believer in, like, reproduction and like having children so it was a big part of like the female population of his following to like have babies and one of the women I can't remember who it was she got incarcerated um not long after she had a baby and she was with some of the other followers or some shit and they were like well we don't think this is weird because we're just helping one of our own and they would literally like nurse from her like you have to do that I know it's not just like weird to like think Ooh. about. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not right. That's not right. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable thought. Um, yeah, uh, one that you could probably expect. All the women were forced—not forced, but all the women had to have sex with Charles, and they had to orchestrate family orgies. So that was part of their job as the women um, in the family. Thinking was not allowed, which is a normal cult thing. Thinking was not allowed and it was punishable by beatings. You don't need to think when he can do it for you, right? Um, Members participated in menial labor. So kind of like I said, like they had to do some chores to stay there rent-free, but they had to participate in menial labor and sexual favors in exchange for necessities. So you can assume that's like food, groceries, bath supplies, I don't know. Yeah. Um, members had to act as untrained birthing assistants. So like I said before, he was a very big believer in building his cult through having children in the cult, but he was like, no doctors, absolutely none. No one will go to a hospital. Everything will be done here. So when a woman would go into labor, everybody had to participate in the birthing of this child. And there was one guy, I can't remember his name. But he would, he would cut the umbilical cord with his teeth. Like he would just like oh. chew through it. That was Ooh. his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh. it was weird. Yeah. And like one of his, who was it? One of his core members, I can't remember her name, but the same guy, he cut her umbilical cord with a guitar cable. Like, so, I mean, I guess it's slightly better than somebody chewing on your umbilical cord. <laughs> like it's fucking like nerd's yeah. rope or something or a Twizzler. Nerd's rope. <laughs> That's all I can imagine. So, um, just like, ang, ang, ang. Yeah. Just snap. <laughs> like a piece of beef jerky, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's a midwife, apparently. Put that on mm. your resume. Um, <laughs> and his resume. He- I chew umbilical cord. Period. My role. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. He also demanded that the family participated in B and E's after breaking and entering, um, or as he liked to call them, creepy crawls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of creepy going on there. <laughs> Multiple ways multiple ways 
Um, women had to serve the men. Like I said, they had to serve the men food and they had to maintain like a deathly thin physique, um, which makes me wonder how anyone was able to even get pregnant. Like, cause they were so tiny, like, yeah. I don't know, man. So, and being that high of- on like LSD, like these poor little babies. Cause I would imagine like, it's not just gonna, they're not just gonna not have to take LSD just cause they're pregnant. I'm sure it just continued. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't see anything wrong with it. Yeah. Um, glasses, which I thought was weird. Watches, clocks, and books were forbidden. Why the glasses? I don't know. He can see for you, I guess. Um, and then people were also told to shed their egos. So basically he was like, I don't care about your baggage and your bullshit. You leave it at the door. Cause when you're in here, like I reign supreme, like, I don't care, but we're not doing that. And I'm like, okay. Like that was the least weird one out of all of those. Like leave your ego at the door. Like, okay. In other words, I mean, I get what he's saying, but like, okay. So those were just some weird rules that they all had to abide by while being there i mean at least thank god they weren't into like the child rape like most cults do you know what i mean yeah yeah i I guess that's one very very small (laughs) silver lining very slim little lining (laughs) yeah that's all we'll say okay so i'm gonna wrap up with helter skelter so what do you know about Helter Skelter? Not a whole lot. I'll be honest. I know the phrase because I've heard, obviously everybody's heard about the phrase, but. <laughs> yeah. So Helter Skelter was the name of a Beatles song from their white album, which he just fucking, he convinced his family that the white album was the Beatles sending a secret message to the Manson family about the impending apocalyptic race war that was set to happen that summer of 1969 convince them of it helter skelter was a song about a child's amusement park ride <laughs> is really what the song was made after but he took it a different way so he told his family that there was going to be an apocalyptic race war between black people and white people and the black people were going to murder all the white people in the world. They were going to overthrow their white oppressors and they were going to take over. But his, him and his followers were going to be the only people that survived. And that was going to be because somewhere in, oh, fuck, where was it? Like the desert somewhere, there was like a compound. I can't remember the name of the desert. But there was like a compound. They were all going to stay in underground and wait out the war happening between black people and white people. Once the black people killed all the white people, they were going to emerge and then they were going to rule over the black people because he still believed that black people were too stupid to rule the world. They were smart enough to kill everyone, but then they would be too dumb to know how to govern themselves. So him and his followers would govern them. That's what he convinced them of, was, was Helter Skelter. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, exactly I, don't, I don't i don't know how a group of people high on lsd <laughs> would um govern very well i mean where would you get your lsd everyone's dead right like that too like are you just gonna like stockpile <laughs> it for god knows how long like underground like make sure you so, have like 
the exact amount of like whatever also like oh like is he able to like create more than like i mean he's so smart he should know right yeah yeah so that was helter skelter in accordance and that's the message the beatles were trying to send him of like there's going to be an apocalyptic race war and you and your people and it was like death valley or something but some desert like go underground and just wait it out and it was supposed to happen that summer you can imagine it didn't happen that summer so summer's coming to a close he's freaking out because he's like well i'm a prophet and i am basically god like he told his followers that the name vanson meant he was the son of man aka like he had some equivalence to god and all that bullshit um so he was like okay well i think we're actually supposed to incite helter sculpture like we need to start it off because the black people aren't doing it and then that's when this reign of murders this murder spree happens which is where we will leave it for this week and we'll come back in two weeks or as Darcy says, next week. <laughs> next week for us. <laughs> yeah. So, Charles Manson, everybody. Part Woo! one. Our first two-parter. Mm-hmm. Well, very good, Darcy. That was Thank very you. interesting. I am excited to hear more about the actual murders, too, because I know it probably gets even more bananas, but some of the things I learned today very yeah very interesting to say the least (laughs) (laughs) are you gonna go listen to love never learn not to love by the beach boys now (laughs) maybe i'm definitely not gonna go eat a twizzler or nerds rope anytime soon though (laughs) no 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 no, don't think so i can't look at a chewy rope for a while Well, I mean, the beauty of doing everything in the beginning is we can wrap up the ending. So bye, guys. (laughs) Bye.